You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey everyone, this week we're giving away a one-year subscription to pushlink.com, P-U-S-H-L-Y-N-K. It's valued at about 600 bucks. Pushlink allows you to send push notifications to your subscribers on almost any platform. The fact is push notifications get about 10 times the response rate when compared to traditional email. For a chance to win, subscribe to the podcast, then take a quick snapshot or picture showing you're subscribed and text it to 716-218-8981, or you can email it to growthexperts at yahoo.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest, and his name is Brian Wallace, and he's the founder of NowSourcing, which is one of the top-ranked infographic agencies in the United States. His clients include Adobe, Twitter, FedEx, L'Oreal, Google, as well as small businesses throughout the United States and Canada. So welcome to the show, Brian. Pleasure to be here, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, anytime. We connected on LinkedIn a while back and we've had some dialogues and I've seen a lot of your work, particularly over the last, call it the last four, five, six months. And it's really is amazing. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show. But before we dive into your expertise on infographics and, and everything surrounding that, tell my audience a little bit about what you and your crew have going on over there at Now Sourcing. Sure. So like you said, you've really seen a lot of my stuff probably on LinkedIn and probably over the last four to six months. So I love to say it's you know a good old 11 and a half year overnight success. So a lot of people are like, oh, wow, it's amazing. I'm just seeing this for the first time. So just every time you all think that that's a thing, just know that there's always lots of work and planning and effort that goes into what I like to call making things predictively viral, right? So a lot of people can get lucky with a one-time hit but I like to think that the kinds of stuff that we engineer for success are successful hands down all the time that we step up to the plate. So yeah, so we're 15 folks here in two cities out here in the Midwest. I myself am originally from the New York area, which is why I can talk fast like this, but I'm in the Midwest now. So I try to slow it down and be a little more <laughs> mild mannered like that, if you will. So we're actually in Louisville, Kentucky and Cincinnati, Ohio. And there's kind of a misnomer in the world of infographics and the way people understand that. So a lot of people say, oh, okay, you all just do graphics. And no, we don't just do graphics. We have to come up with a whole concept that the world will find interesting, right? You also have to do all the research that goes into it. And not just the research, but the storyline, because people make emotional decisions when they're reading something, whether they're buying, whether they're making decisions, whether they're recommending things to others. So we spend all the time to do that and make what we call a proper blueprint. Then we do design. And when I say design, it isn't just taking the bathroom male and female symbols off the wall and throwing them into a, a piece, but rather we've done everything from redesign, Captain Crunch, we've made our own fonts, we've done photo shoots, whatever it takes to really get the, the mind really engaged because you really only have 2.7 seconds to get anyone's attention. After we do that, we also do a whole implementation step because lots of people install infographics incorrectly on websites. So we'll spend a whole day QAing that. And then we do a lot of promotion. In the earned media press, we have a lot of relationships. 
So it's not press releases and it isn't just paying to be there, but it's actually there because people want to see it and their readership wants to engage with it. And in a lot of cases, we have things that will just last forever. If we can make really good, rich, evergreen content, there's things that we've made on the web that have been running around in one way or another for close to a decade, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. Right. So I have a two-part question that really spins right off of that. So why infographics? Part one is how did you and why did you go in that direction? And part two, why are they so popular? Why are they in such high demand? What is it about them that, you know, that works so well? Great question. So let's start with why infographics and how we got into it. So I didn't just wake up, you know, I wasn't born making infographics. I didn't just wake up one day and say, let's do infographics. It's really the culmination of a lot of the story of me and the story of now sourcing. So my background is quite a bit varied. I've got a, a lot of different degrees and a number of different things. And my background is actually in technology. I kind of got fed up, one, working for other people, and two, working in technology. I really thought that most people... So first off, technology kind of doesn't even work half the time, right? So we're recording this podcast and you know, you and I are worried, oh, is going to work? Is it something going to drop? Is the internet going to crash while we're doing... You know, There's a million points of failure in everything we do technology-wise. So there's built-in headaches to that career path. And then at the same time, people don't really care about all the fancy acronyms. Most people just want to know that everything is going to be okay, and they want things explained in layman's terms. And I kind of found that my passion really, as I was going up the ladder, it was not in technology. And I really enjoyed the nuts and bolts and the technology side, but also just more psychologically and subconsciously how the human mind works, how it processes images, among other things. So... This was something that was really kind of a long time coming in my career that was kind of dormant for a while. So I went out on my own and we made websites and the, you know, the normal kind of thing. But I felt like a lot of that was just another gallon of milk, more like just a commodity. So in the early days of now sourcing, we were a social media agency back when it was cool to say that you were <laughs> a social media agency. And I found that there were so many specialties. We couldn't keep up with all the different things that people wanted us to do. So around the late 2000s, I saw a very small amount of people in the entire world doing the rudimentary start of infographics. And I looked at that and I said, wow, you know, we're artists, we're storytellers, we're good at getting media hits and telling stories visually. We've got to do this. This is what we've got to do. So that's why we did it. So that leads right into your second question. Why infographics, right? Before we dive there, speaking about technology that doesn't work, do me a huge favor and just make sure that that mic's not rubbing because I'm hearing a little bit of background. Oh, sure. And again, technology is our best friend and our worst enemy. So part two, head on. Yes. So part two, as I purposefully hold my mic and don't have any rubbing of my shirt at all. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yep. So... It's not that people are illiterate. It's that people don't want to read, right? We are inundated everywhere we go with all sorts of advertising, all sorts of ads, all sorts of messages. You can go to the gas station and it's trying to sell you on donuts and coffee. You can go up the elevator for crying out loud, right? Even when you're sleeping, if you're playing Spotify, it'll just, you know, inundate you with ads, right? So (laughs) day and night, even our subconscious lives almost everywhere we go, there's screens everywhere and it's kind of terrible. And we don't know where to turn for good information, right? So how do you know who's the best gardener and doctor and lawyer and this and that? You can ask the internet and a lot of that stuff is sponsored. You can go on Amazon and you can look at the five-star reviews and how do you know they're real people and how do you know that they're right? You know, we look at social psychology will dictate. If we have two stories next to each other, one with 5,000 shares and one with three shares, the 5,000 share one is better. 
Why? Who says it's better? Because a bunch of random people you don't know say it's better, right? It's, it's kind of insane when you think about the way that we use all these summary judgments to make up our minds, which is really kind of a fragile sense and a fragile state. So what infographics really do in here, it's almost like a mind trick. We're not fooling anybody, but stick with me here, like a little thought experiment, if you will. So back to that whole 2.7 second thing, that's pretty much all you have before the person bounces off your website, probably forever, right? So what an infographic is going to do, it's going to just grab that part of your brain where it takes that passive side where you're just kind of clicking around on the internet, eh, whatever, I'm just on my lunch break, clicking around, looking at cats on treadmills, whatever I'm doing. And then I see this infographic, I see this header, I see this really warm, inviting, really cool image, and it's got a really nice message on it. And it stops me in my tracks for those 2.7 seconds. And rather than just scrolling right on by, I read the whole thing. And in a lot of cases, that could be another three to four minutes. What's interesting, so let's say we're not at a desktop, right? Let's say we're on mobile. And a lot of people will dispute some of the things I may say, but you know, whatever, I have strong opinions. I'm a founder. So <laughs> that, that's talking to a founder, right? So let's say we wake up in the morning and rather than saying hello to our significant other, we just stare at our phone and we're looking at Facebook and we're flopping around through the feed. Now, imagine me going through my feed. Don't imagine me waking up and shower yet and everything, but imagine the user behavior that I have as I'm using my phone. I'm probably using my index finger and I'm scrolling from the bottom of the phone to the top of the phone as I go through my feed. That's a normal action that we do. So as people are looking at, let's say, a video, they're going to stop, look at the video, and if it's not interesting enough or there aren't, aren't words on it, they might flip right by it. What's interesting about the user interaction and behavior model for an infographic is if they like the top of it or they don't even like it, as they scroll on through, that's the way that the user interacts with the content. So they're scrolling through the infographic unless they shut off the phone or double tap or something like that. Pretty fascinating if you think about it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, for me, it's the perfect way to consume content in two or three minutes, right? And not having to spend 20 minutes or, or longer. And I love the way it kind of good infographics for me from the top down, like you said, they kind of tell a story, right? Even if the top, even if the beginning isn't as eye catching as it should be, or, you know, cause that's really where you want to grab them. You know, right. as you move throughout it, there's always something that catches your eye, whether it be a statistic or an image or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I, they've really, you know, since connecting with you, I've paid a lot more attention to how they're actually designed before they were just, Hey, they were these cool graphics and they were neat. And sometimes I shared them. Now I've looked at it a little bit deeper because of how you've been sharing a lot of content around them. So really quick, have you guys raised any money? Or are you bootstrapped? We're totally bootstrapped. We've never raised anything. And I think part and parcel with a kind of service business like this, I don't think it's as attractive as, let's say, a SaaS B2B kind of technology play or big pharma or something like that. I don't think it's really the thing that a lot of VCs are looking for. We're not trying to be a unicorn. For those of you who don't know what a unicorn is, I don't just mean the mythical creature or a large company, but it actually means that you're a non-public company and your valuation is a billion dollars or more. So the kind of businesses that we do, it's not a billion dollar company. We could get acquired by, let's say, a large advertising agency that might be that size, but it's not that kind of thing. Right. It's a creative service company. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So can from my audience, can you share whether it be revenue or number of people or growth percentage, something to give us a sense as to the size of now sourcing? Sure. So I don't usually disclose straight up revenue numbers, but we're a 15 person team across the two cities and we've been, you know, growing at a, a great steady rate. So I really feel like we're primed for 
tremendous growth over the next several years. And who knows what we're going to be doing next. I really like to say, aside from just doing infographics, we're kind of almost in the what do people want from the web in the next three to five year business? So we're always looking at the latest and greatest technologies. You know, I spend a fair amount of my time on research and development. And because we are looking at all the messaging in the world across industries, we get to see what's happening next. So I'm personally, particularly and professionally, pretty fascinated with all the things that are happening in virtual reality, but I'm even more excited about everything that's happening in augmented reality. And as soon as all that stuff gets interesting, I think we'll probably be doing something or other in that in the content space in the years to come. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I was curious of that with virtual reality and with video and all the other things that are happening online, you know, as quickly as everything's moving, how is that going to affect the infographic space? And you just kind of dove into that. So that was one of the questions. I appreciate you reading my mind. So I try to read minds too. That's yeah, just for fun. That's awesome. <laughs> that's one of the things you do on the side. So awesome. Well, listen, there are a lot of infographics out there. I mean, and I'm not really impressed with most of them. I'm being being extremely honest with you. The stuff you've shown me has been great, but a lot of the stuff I see out there is, you know, to be honest with you, is kind of half-assed, right? So what are some of the biggest mistakes to avoid when creating an infographic? And I, what, what I mean is if you're a brand or an organization that's looking to create it, what are the biggest mistakes you see them making? Sure. So let me preface any comment here with, I don't need to put someone down to feel good about myself or my company. <laughs> so that goes without saying, I appreciate you saying there is lots of stuff that's really just kind of half-assed put together. And I think that's because they don't really have the plan and methodology that we do. So if you, let's say you're a large organization, you don't have an infographics department, let's say. There's a few places in the world that may, but not really like this exactly. And not with the parts that I said, like our circles of excellence with the research, design, and promotion. Most people only think about design, and that's a mistake. So most people, they go ahead and they, they take a designer who does not have, let's say, the range of all the things that we need to do in the infographic, let's say being good at typography for one, right? Let's say being good at charts and data visualization for another. Who's writing the copy? Who's writing the story, right? It's kind of crazy you can't have that expectation on a designer. Plus, we've done a few thousand of these things. How much does the average designer at an inside company do? One, two, five, seven. They simply don't have enough experience to have gotten good at it. So I feel like that's a big mistake that a lot of people make on the inside. They say, ah, whatever, we don't have to pay all this money. We'll just do it ourselves. And then without fail, they spend a lot more money, you know, using the internal resources, a lot more time. And in a lot of cases, the end product is terrible or they don't even launch it and they just come, they'll come back to us and say, yeah, you were right, you know, a year later. And I feel like there's just, there's a lot of things that in the inexperience people just do wrong. I'll give you a few examples. So the implementation, right? That I said, we spend a whole day QAing the thing. People don't even bother to test if it shows up on mobile. There are certain things that I know that let's say on the iPhone on Safari, if you make it over a certain amount of pixels tall, it simply won't show up. It's actually a system limitation by design in the browser for mobile, for Apple. So people don't know that, right? Or they don't know how to code and they put it in an embed code and it either is broken or it's pointing to somebody else's infographic for crying out loud. So there's a million things that people do wrong on that. Even visually speaking, a lot of people do things very wrong. And as an example, Many people, if you look at terrible looking infographics, 
they don't really know what metaphors to use to tell the story visually. So they'll just, you know, they'll do something that's like on the road to X, Y, Z. And it'll literally be like a picture of a road. And it's the most uninteresting thing in the world or like some kind of candy land, like curved road thing. So whenever a client says, can we do a road? I cringe and I, I tell them the story we're saying right now. It just looks <laughs> like everything else. It's terrible. Right. Or they use the bathroom symbols. They use terrible looking stock art and terrible icons. They don't put enough thought into all of the pieces. Or let's say they're perfect at all these things. Let's say they don't know how to outreach the media. So doing an infographic, it's not a, a lifetime accomplishment. It's not a bucket list. It's not bungee jumping off the bridge or climbing Mount Everest. The purpose of the infographic is to tell your story and go get money, right? So a lot of people miss that. Most people go into solutioning without thinking about the goal. That's a big problem. Yeah, for sure. No, and that makes total sense. And what it sounds to me like one of the big differentiators for you is that you probably spend as much time on the research and the promotion. You probably spend significantly more time on those two things than you do the actual just graphic design. I mean, the graphic design is just the output of all the upfront work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And perfect. Way that, another way that I say it is we have more people that don't do design than we do. Right. And that's just a, a function of all the other pieces, like you said, that are needed for that. Sure. So do me a favor and pick one or two clients where you have maybe a customer success story, someone that, you know, came to you, needed some direction. You created this amazing infographic for them and what the significant results were for them. And you can either name the company or not. It doesn't matter completely up to you, but, you know, tell us that story really quick. Take a minute or two and share that, share a story like that with us. Sure. If you've got all day, I can tell you a ton, but let's stick to two. <laughs> I know. That's why I prefaced <laughs> it with a minute or two. <laughs> Great. So let's go with two. Let's start with one by the name of WordStream. So most people in the internet marketing business are familiar with WordStream. If you're not, it's a great tech company out of Boston. And if you're doing like Google ads and Facebook ads, imagine it's like power tools to run your account. Let's keep it at that. Okay. So back in the day when we worked with them starting years ago, they were a much, much smaller company. Their founder and CTO reached out and we've done a number of really legendary campaigns. It wasn't just once or twice, it was several times over. And the first few times, especially that we stepped up to the plate for them, they had record numbers of all sorts of very large websites that never even linked to them before. They had record numbers of leads, record numbers of sales because they had like a freemium model at the time, right? So, I mean, it was a definitive piece of their success. And I think when we started working with them, there were a couple million, they're probably like a $60 million company now. So they definitely do give us a lot of credit for a lot of their growth. Obviously, you know, we're not the only thing that they're doing. That would be absurd. But there are some pretty famous pieces that we've done that a lot of people have seen. So there's a great piece talking about how Google makes money that we've done. There was a piece that came out when the Facebook IPO came out. We all have reason to believe that Facebook's IPO kind of actually went down as a result of something we did that day, because basically we were comparing Google AdWords versus Facebook ads and basically saying the Facebook ads market wasn't really there yet. And as we got this absolute news frenzy to come out, it came out later that I think GM like pulled all their Facebook ads that day and everybody was a little upset. So I think Facebook likes us now. But So what are the two what are the two or three biggest metrics that that organizations typically KPIs that they try to track in association with developing and launching an infographic? If you, you know, I'm sure there's some recurring themes there. What are the two or three KPIs they look for? Right. So 
one way to kind of normalize it because there's many different industries, site types, sizes, shapes of industries that we work with. Of course. So one thing that we try to do is look at high quality inbound links. So that's something that's pretty easy to measure. We can measure it on a scale of zero to 100 according to something called domain authority, which basically is saying how popular the website is. So if your website is a zero, it sucks. <laughs> if it's a hundred, it's really amazing. And that's right? accomplished so with the embed code, right? That's the importance of the embed code. That's one way for people to link to it. There's other ways as well, but it's so people, so let's say you're a major news organization and you run the infographic, whether you're showing the image, you're linking to it, whatever is happening, you're somehow linking from big news site A to client, right? So then we're following the traffic and we're following the leads and we're following the sales off of that. So I think that's where a lot of it starts because then you're also watching all the traffic that's happening to it. So a lot of good things happen off of that. And then there's just other things that can happen. We try to watch all the different trends that are happening in social. We're watching to see it going viral in different kinds of countries. Some people like it when they print it out and people start putting it all over their offices. It can really kind of go a lot of different ways. So I will preface, you know, lots of people have different kinds of goals. And some people even just want things only internally. Let's say you're a company that has 50,000 people. You may just need a great way to communicate a message, right? But typically, the people who do engage with us are looking to get all of that lead sales, press. Some people get funded as a result. People have gotten acquired. So it's really helping them tell the story. And then I think, you know, a lot of people who are really thinking about this correctly, you know, I'm sure you know, and a lot of other people can appreciate that there, in a lot of cases, there isn't a big difference between sales and marketing. I feel like the companies that get it right really try to align their sales and marketing efforts. So this is something that you can easily use, not just for the marketing side of the fence, but for the sales side too, because now you've got a, a wonderful super premium asset rather than sticking salespeople with stuff that just looks terrible and making their jobs harder. Now you have something, let's say you can chop it up and put it in a PowerPoint, or they can say, look at the press that it got, or look at all the places we were featured in. Sure. Absolutely. You know, that makes total sense. So if you had to, if you had to kind of peel back the covers a little bit, what's the number one strategy that now sourcing is using today to get new clients? Because clients like Adobe and Twitter and FedEx and Google, they don't grow on trees, right? And I'm sure that the PR that you've gotten has helped. But if you had to pick one strategy that's helping you land new clients today, what would it be? So excellent question. And I wish more people would ask that to really learn and understand for a growth purpose. So now a lot of this comes down to mindset and philosophy. Now, not everybody, again, is going to agree with this. And other people have different management styles and philosophies. Everything that we do here, everything that we operate on is an inbound methodology. I know that there are many people that do outbound and lead generation and buying lists and doing email marketing and all that, but everything, everything we do is inbound. So tons of stuff comes through news, Google searches, media, we do some webinars, we do a few select trade shows. And really, I think the most powerful thing that we're doing right now from an inbound capacity is personal and business branding. So let's think about it like this. Let's change the subject of now sourcing and infographics and talk about phones. So what kind of phone do you have? iPhone 10. Same. I have a, an older iPhone, but we both have iPhones. So a lot of marketers, a lot of higher household income folks tend to have iPhone over the thousand other choices, all sorts of Android and other stuff, right? So let's just pick another competitor. Let's pick Samsung, okay? What does Apple have that Samsung doesn't? Who started Apple? 
everybody knows, Steve Jobs and also some people know Wozniak. Who started Samsung? You ask most people, nobody even knows or cares, right? For them, it's like an also ran kind of product. Even if it's a better, technologically speaking, phone, even if it has a better screen and it's indestructible and it's waterproof and the camera's better, right? Maybe the iPhone 10 finally is a little better, but for years it wasn't better, right? Yet people would sweep on the pavement outside the Apple store, waiting in line overnight to go be the first to get the iPhone and get in the news for getting the first iPhone. And it's made them hundreds of billions of dollars. I know they make other stuff, but they really make their money because of the phone and the app store and the music and all the other stuff associated with it. So that's pretty incredible. So what did they actually do? It's a form of personal branding or another way to look at it is desirability or having like a cultural icon status artifact kind of a thing. Yet you have a place like a Samsung that they'll spend, you know, $250 million on ad campaigns to make videos that are making fun of Apple. And then their phone explodes anyway and nobody cares, right? So I feel like, so that's the cult of Apple and the cult of Steve Jobs. So what we do is we do kind of like the cult of now sourcing and the cult of Brian Wallace. So when you see me, right, and you definitely see me, I get messages throughout the day, people that have been following me for years and they're like, I don't know what you're doing, man, but I'm seeing you everywhere. Or I got to hand it to you. It really looks like you've been stepping it up or what are you guys doing, right? And people just reach out and we've straight up one Fortune 500 business from doing this kind of methodology by really establishing a very good, strong presence, but not just salesy all day. Like here's another infographic. Here's another infographic. Of course I share infographics. And of course I share the press that we're getting. But at the same time, in between that and behind the scenes, I'm letting people in on a peek behind the curtain, right? I'm showing what we're doing day to day. And we're getting on awesome interviews like this, right? And it's just such a desirability kind of thing that let's say there's somebody else in the universe that's doing exactly what we're doing. The, the customer is probably going to choose us because they already know who we are and they feel comfortable and it's just like, and it's cool to be associated. Yeah, perfect. No, that's awesome. So you're doing a lot of inbound and I see that I'm sure a lot of that comes through LinkedIn. I'm sure a lot of that comes through your, you know, through how you're indexed and traffic from Google. So that's perfect. So you have a very strong inbound process. So let me ask you this. We're going to do a quick little bit of rapid fire here. What's your favorite growth tool? Actually, before I ask that one, knowing what you know now, right? In hindsight, it's always 2020, right? What sure. would you do to grow, go further faster with now sourcing? If you had to pick one thing in one minute or less, what would you do differently? That's an excellent question. So I think I would spend even more time. I would just double down on inbound and I would double down on the quality of inbound. So kind of like you called me out for my microphone being crap. So I would invest a lot more and be much more mindful of everything that we produce from an audio perspective, from a video perspective. I mean, you know, I interview a lot of people too. And sometimes I go on the road and do it and people have said, you know, why don't you just have like a little camera crew follow you around? And it's like, yeah, I don't know if I should, but honestly I should, <laughs> I think that you know, superior technical performance on top of the message really sells at home. As an example, I was on a show when I was visiting New York and they gave me like a one minute little teaser video of it. And when I posted that to LinkedIn, like everybody's like, this is amazing. This is like so much, what they were really saying is this is so much better than the crappy video you usually do, right? So if you already are capturing people and really people love the message, I think doubling down on that is our biggest mistake that we're not doing enough, which I totally own up to. And let me just, if I have like 10 more seconds on there, Bezos says something interesting about this from Amazon. 
So in the game of baseball, what's the most runs you can get? Four, right? You hit a grand slam. In the game of business, you can step up to the plate and get 10,000 runs, right? So I think sometimes really doubling down or tripling down really make things pay off. So I could say like, oh, use Pinterest more. But no, I think we go deeper into a specific thing. No shade against Pinterest. It's awesome too. I'm just saying like specifically on the tactics we're doing, I wish we would just do even more of that. Perfect. So what's your favorite growth tool or software these days? If you had LinkedIn. to pick, if you had to pick one, <laughs> LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn I fit, by far. I thought you were going to say that for sure. Yeah. Mine you too. You knew I was going there. Yep. What's the one book that you would recommend to my audience? That's a great question. I think specifically for your audience, there's a great book by the Eisenberg brothers called Be Like Amazon. I know I already said a little Amazon thing, but it doesn't read like other sales books or business books or marketing books without ruining the book. And by the way, it's a very short read, real thin book. You could read it on a flight or two, probably. It's like it's set up as like a story. And it's a story that kind of has no beginning, no end. You don't know where the characters are going. You don't even know their names. But as you follow the characters through their discussion. That's where the whole evolution of all these ideas come from. And I rave about this book all the time. It's wonderful. Perfect. Be like Amazon. Well, listen, Brian, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for today. Do me a favor and share one piece of parting guidance and then let everybody know how they can connect with you and now sourcing. Sure. I think everybody has an audience. Everyone is a universe. Everybody in today's world where LinkedIn doesn't cost anything, guys. I mean, you can buy the premium and this and that, but you can get a free account and you can make major noise for you, your brand and your business. And I think if you're not doing it today and you're just passively using it, you're missing out. There's 530 million people on that platform and very few innovate and create. So you're missing a major market opportunity. So my biggest advice to you, although it may sound cliche, start waiting for the perfect moment. You're missing it every day. Every day you're letting it go by. Hallelujah. That's where we met. Yes, sir. And how can they connect with you and now sourcing? Well, you, since I have like the most common name, well, you do too, but you know how it is, man. Like everybody's got our first and last name. So don't look for Brian Wallace because there's too many Brian Wallaces. So search for now sourcing on every major social platform. And of course we're on the web at nowsourcing.com. Perfect. Well, listen, I want to thank you for joining me. It was awesome. I'm sure we're going to be chatting again soon and we'll talk to you then. Absolutely, man. Been such a pleasure. Very grateful to you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.